Hi, welcome to What You Reading Dude. It's Jamie, Lauren, and Lisa. This is our time to catch up and share what we've been reading and inspired by, hoping to stir some deeper conversations. No one person has time to read every book or listen to everything, but we figure this is a good way to trade ideas, expand our horizons, and maybe inspire you as well. Just a reminder, this is for us, this is for fun, and we are not experts. Enjoy! Hi, welcome to the podcast. We Hello, welcome. <laughs> We're mid-combo. Hey. Hi. I had a highlight uh-huh. that I wanted to highlight. This week. A highlight to Jaws highlight. dropped ready. Yeah, 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 guys. We're doing good. It's a good day. I'm drinking an energy drink. <laughs> but I just wanted to Sorry. like gonna yeah, go yeah, watch yeah, yeah, Survivor yeah, yeah. after this. Is good. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Survivor. Like, I put Survivor and Bachelor in Paradise in the same level for me. Yeah, I feel so like, like I'd like it. So, like, how excited I am. I've never actually seen Plus, that. Plus, most of them are only one hour long. Anyway, can't recommend Survivor enough. Not what I'm highlighting. Um, <laughs> I just, like, wanted to draw attention to something that I thought was very cool. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but I love football <laughs> she loves football i cannot <laughs> emphasize this enough love it with all of my heart we changed um, our recording time to accommodate football season i can't record on thursday nights anymore because it's now the fall and the fall is for it's football okay. <laughs> so mm-hmm. in relation to football i'm a big colts fan and my number two team is the packers and i didn't know colts was your number one Oh, yeah. Colts are the best. Are you kidding me? I didn't know. We are born and raised in Indianapolis, and you didn't know I liked the Colts. I know, but I figured that, that you liked I'm some other random I'm going to a Colts game more. next weekend. Okay. Good. Okay. Ooh. Anyway. Sorry. So, Pat McAfee was a punter for the Colts a long time ago, like five years ago. It's not that long, actually. Sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> and he's also kind of a comedian. He would, like, put on really? shows around Indy, and he was really funny, and everyone loved him and Indy. And then he kind of grew into this thing. He had, like, a thing with Barstool for a really long time, and now he's a serious XM show that he, like, is also a YouTube show Ooh. that they record oh, called The Pat McAfee funny. Show. It's literally every day, well, Monday through Friday for three hours, and they just talk about mostly football, but a lot of sports. He does this thing starting last year called Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays, (laughs) which I love because the Packers, who Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback Mm -hmm. for. Yeah, he's Packers um, are great. Is he related to the Bachelor dude? He sure is. Okay, he's the brother of Jordan Rodgers, who's engaged to. To JoJo, JoJo, who won JoJo's season. This is why I know football people. And he also married Shailene Woodley last year. You might know that. It's a beautiful name. No, I, f- I didn't. <laughs> she. Um, I'm trying to think of who that is, but now it's um, coming back to Big me. Little Lies, Secrets of the American, American Teenager. teenager. Yeah. She was like pregnant or whatever. Yeah. Divergent. Oh, too. Oh, she was oh, the main star yeah. of all the Divergent, Divergent movies. Yeah. I feel like they're estranged brothers. They are estranged. She, he's estranged from most of his family. Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Oh. Too successful. I care more no. about the family mm-hmm. drama, clearly. Okay. <laughs> like, on with the um, anyway, anyway, anyway. Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays are the best because Aaron Rodgers like doesn't do a lot of press. So there's a lot of like news stories out there all the time about him because he's 
one of the most famous and one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. And yeah, he's a big mystery. So he started doing once a week during football season. He comes on Pat's show for like 20 to 30 minutes and they talk and he lets Pat interview him. So it's really the only way Aaron Rodgers like talks to the public. Very cool. Which is really fun because they're like kind of friends and I don't know. It's just fun to pick his brain and I love football. So I want to hear what he has to say. Anyway, I'm in love with him. It's fine. (laughs) This year he started doing a thing on Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays called the Aaron Rodgers Book Club. Cute. So he started a book club because his like, other than football, like his favorite thing and what he thinks is like one of the most important causes is reading, like learning how to read. And I don't know. He just like doesn't watch TV, is really against like media right now, Mm -hmm. loves reading is trying to get people into reading. So I wanted to call attention to that because first of all, I feel like male book clubs are rare. Oh, men definitely in book clubs maybe men only book clubs crazy rare men starting yep. a book club <laughs> like unheard of has this ever happened yeah. before <laughs> when i was going to book club regularly and i would tell people about book club like they all knew it was just a, a yeah. group of women chit-chatting about, about books. maybe books but maybe other things lots of wine like, yeah always the conception it's so true and another thing is i don't fault people for it because there are stereotypes out there for a reason but i feel like professional football players or professional sporting players but mostly football i feel like they're always just kind of seen as dumb jocks yeah and i think it's nice that aaron's kind of trying to call attention to the fact that like no, actually, you can be smart and also play football for a living yeah. or enjoy sports. Like it's and not there a, was a personality. Mm. It's not a personality trait to be a football player. When I remember when he was hosting Jeopardy, a lot of people were like, why the hell is this like dumb football player? And it's like, actually, no, like you might not know this, but he went on Jeopardy and won in 2015. Mm. And like, he's actually a really smart dude who went to like Cal Berkeley I mean, yeah, a lot of the reason, I wouldn't say a lot of the reason they get into the schools due to sports, but they have to have a certain, like, level to go to these schools. Like, Andrew Luck went and studied architecture at Stanford. Yeah. Like, you have to be smart to to graduate from Stanford with an architecture degree. Yeah. I guess, yeah, what I was saying is, like, being a football player is not a personality type. Like, these all of these people have different personalities and some are really intellectual and some are into whatever other things some are and they also play football yeah like just because you're good at sports does not mean you are lacking in intelligence you know they're they're not mutually exclusive and it's just like something that's just you know everyone kind of thinks like dumb jocks it's like a super common stereotype Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i like to challenge that especially when it comes to professional sports and I think football is one where a lot of people are like, oh, they're just dumb idiots. But I'm like, actually, they have to remem- memorize 100 plays and have them in their head and know if someone says red triangle, they need to remember exactly what play, exactly yeah. what they have to do. So I don't know. Um, I just want to draw attention to it because I love it. As of the time of this recording, he's only done three Tuesdays. But his first book, I'm just going to tell you what he's been recommending to these people. Please. The first one was The Alchemist by Ooh. Paolo. I haven't read Cal- that one. I can never say one. Paolo's last name. Paolo Coleno. The second one was Where Men Win Glory by John Krakauer. 
And then this week's was The Giver by Lois Lowry. The Giver. That's a a great Love this. So are you going to start reading all the books that he's recommend? It's going to be really hard to read one book a week when I already have to read. The Alchemist is really read. short I, it the is. point. It's, That's why you recommended you would, it to us. But you could do it on the podcast. That's true. Mm-hmm. When we don't have theme weeks, I could totally just steal mm-hmm. Aaron's books. I mean, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Sharing the info. Anyway. Yeah, I've always seen The Alchemist like everywhere, obviously. I've heard it's, amazing things. Yeah, when I've listened to the um, Paolo on like podcasts and talks before, and he's always had fascinating things mm. to say so yeah i've never actually read it when i yeah. studied abroad one of my friends it was like in this library in the house we were saying and one of my friends pulled it out and was like this is a classic and read it like i think multiple times on that trip and i was like hmm what's the deal like i better read this and i read it that was pretty close to graduating so yeah. i read it after i graduated and at first i was like wow they're really like Hitting the nail on the head. Like, Paolo does not beat around the bush. He's very direct to the point of the story and, like, the morals and lessons you're he's trying to convey. And at first I was like, wow, this is, like, so straightforward. But as I was reading it, it, it was like, oh, is this too, like, simple to read? And as I was reading it, I'm like, no, this is fantastic. This is the direct message yeah. that a lot of people need to hear at some point in their life. So I think it's yeah. become a really popular graduation sure. gift. Oh, um, I've seen it as that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's. Kind I'm of just saying, Aaron said it changed his life, and he also reads it every two years so he can remember. Bam, the yeah. lessons. So. Oh, okay, so it's, we should. All so get you have to read it yeah. because got Aaron Rodgers got, got, got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Awesome highlight. Yeah. You have a highlight. <laughs> I do. I do. So a couple weeks ago on a podcast, we were talking about like being able to be your own best friend and like take yourself mm. on yes. dates and stuff and yeah go around town and i just went to my first <gasps> concert by myself yes. what really and it was awesome where did you go my favorite band is called need to breathe and they came to town last weekend and i don't know i mean it was great i that's obviously like probably the scariest thing i've done alone yeah and I had a great time. Like, it's just so crazy. That's These so things exciting. were like, oh, my God, I could never go to a concert alone. That's so embarrassing. But. Like, <laughs> and it's so <laughs> false. That's so They're exciting. just ways to control us. I you know. know? Like, I know. <laughs> and obviously, I just wanted to share that because obviously I love going to shows and I would prefer to go with friends, but I don't want to let that stop me from going to see my favorite band. 100%. So anyway, highly recommend. I had a great time. Was Yay. dancing, was yes. singing, got a beer. Yeah. Hell great. yeah. I think that's one thing that's so liberating with going to things by yourself, be it a concert or even like a, a restaurant or wherever. You really get to focus on how you're experiencing yes. it. You know, yeah. and you're not like... It's great to experience things with friends, family, loved ones, but definitely, you know, like you just, you get really like in tune with like, okay, what is a meaningful experience to me? It was nice to, I mean, one, I grew up going to a lot of outdoor concerts with my family, outdoor Christian concerts, holla, (laughs) (laughs) and love my family to death. Love that, like we did that as a family because that's so like that's so cool and it's a cool bonding experience but like they love to leave concerts early <laughs> and I always yeah. get upset about it because I'm like no they're gonna come back out and sing more songs <laughs> and I want to be here for it so 
it's cool. It was cool that I could like stay as long as I wanted. I also could like stand wherever I wanted. I could just be, I could go stand in the merch line if I wanted or whatever. It was just, it was nice. And as someone who is like, I'm always in the group. I'm like the person who's like, I have to know, I have to have eyes on everyone. If there's a group of people, I'm like the herder of the sheep. (laughs) I have to have eyes on everyone. I'm like, okay, someone's going to the bathroom and that person's getting a beard. And it like stresses me out that I can't enjoy. It's like hard for me to enjoy experiences because of that. And I don't, I can't like turn my mind off. And it's so nice for me to do things alone because I'm just accountable to myself. Yeah. (laughs) anyway oh, i love, love that. that if there's a show you want to go to do it do it do it oh, whether get or not. lost in a crowd yeah. enjoy it but oh like God. you know but six feet apart stay safe yeah yeah if you're drinking make sure you have a ride home it was a great experience and i just wanted to share anyway oh God, that's exciting <laughs> we have a big show today <laughs> big topic indigenous people's day which we are celebrating this year in lieu of the classic Columbus Day, which mm-hmm. who even celebrates that anymore? <laughs> it's not even. A we get it. He came here. Yeah. Right. Who freaking cares? You know, when we think about Indigenous Peoples Day, like the the point of the holiday, as far as we know, is to celebrate Indigenous people and cultures. And so we here at the Whatcha Reading Dude podcast thought it would be great to share books, podcasts, movies resources from indigenous authors creators as a way of lifting up those voices Mm -hmm. sharing them and hopefully spreading some education we've been educating ourselves the past couple weeks so we're here to chat about it yeah Yeah, we are and to reiterate we are all white Mm. women yes (laughs) yes so (laughs) this like some of the conversations we'll be having today are difficult because by our skin tones here and our lineage like we have benefited from the destructive acts of mm-hmm. settlers in the past and we definitely recognize the hypocrisy at times the complacency mm-hmm. it's difficult but we're kind of stepping up to the challenge for ourselves to not let that be a door we don't cross you know like just being like well the past sucks and you know what you're gonna do about it like we're 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 here now yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) yeah Yeah. i think we're just trying to bring you along as we further educate ourselves and also realize that there's just so much more work to be done Mm -hmm. yeah Mm But yeah, uh-huh. jump into it. Get it, girl. So I read the fiction book There, There by Tommy Orange. I'm sure most people have seen this book. It's It was on the New York Times bestseller list for at least a long time. Uh, yeah, a long time. It, it came out in 2018, I believe. <laughs> the premise for the book is that there are a series of characters. It's one of those books where there are a lot of characters, 10 or 12 maybe, and they all have interconnecting stories, but you don't really know how they're interconnected at the at the beginning. I just like love it. Every <laughs> chapter, yeah, every chapter is like has a different character, and you're like, wait, who is this person? Thankfully, hmm. there is a list of characters in the front. It's oh, like that's the so page nice. Page three, which I re- <laughs> referenced many times, and they're all going to this powwow that is being on in oakland california and not all of them are from oakland 
but they're all like either participating in the powwow or traveling to go see it or like bystanders living in Oakland or something like that. So it's super interesting. Also, at the beginning of the book, it becomes clear that there's going to be like a shooting in the powwow. Oh, um, shit. Trying to like steal some people there's some like bad characters oh shit <laughs> what, what's the time fr- like is um, this current day or is it um sorry not to disrupt that's a them. good question i think so not okay. super far in the past but it's not i don't think it's like 2018 gotcha okay i should look that up but, but it's not like anyway. 1800s no either. no okay no. this gotcha. is current day yeah it becomes immediately clear that like something bad is gonna happen at the powwow but the powwow doesn't happen until the very end of the book. So the whole book is kind of like leading up to these events and all these different characters that are like coming together. And the themes in the book are super interesting. I was just reading about Tommy Orange, the author, and kind of his reasoning for writing the book. And it's about kind of urban Native Americans Mm -hmm. and how their lives are so interesting and complicated in so many ways. And it's like, it's a people group that's not often talked about as many mm-hmm. indigenous people aren't talked about, but like kind of the having to grapple with identity, but also li- like of being native, having like kind of a weird history with this country, but also living in the city and being kind of more urban people. And there are a lot of characters in the book who don't necessarily know their history, but some of them know that they're native. Some don't find out that they're native until later in their lives. Mm. And a lot of the themes are just like tr- like searching for identity in a place where their identity has been kind of ripped away from them, which is so interesting. But there's a lot of like drug abuse. There are guns, obviously. Mm. Sexual abuse. Like it's just chock full of interesting things hard topics yeah but I found it really interesting and Tommy Orange in the very beginning writes kind of an essay aside from the book about how interesting it is to be a people group that nowadays we like to look at the image of the Indian and we have kind of like a fondness of like this image of the Indian and Mm -hmm. like Thanksgiving and like we're friends with them but we don't at least I I personally don't often think about who these people are today and like the yeah. challenges they're dealing with day in and day out. It's like kind of this far off image of an Indian, mm-hmm. which is yeah, like a per- like a community from the past. Yes. that is just like you know that communities exist, but it yeah, it's treated so disconnected. Exactly, like. and also their kind of lack of identity within them their own lives is interesting like being a people group that's from this country Mm -hmm. but does not feel connected to like the current Mm. state of affairs really in any way but just like to get by is has like moved to the city or whatever whatever they've each individual has done in order to get by I don't know it was just an interesting book I do Yeah. yeah I think I saw it was a New York Times bestseller, and I saw a lot of people recommended reading it, and I was like, okay, like, let's see what this is about, and I didn't realize, like, kind of how heavy of a book it was, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was 
at times like very difficult to read I think but also very real like it feels like all the characters that this author created feel like real humans Mm -hmm. are all or most of the characters Native American or are they they all are in some way okay so yeah they all have varying degrees of like how much they identify with being Native American or some of them like I said, like, didn't realize, like, one woman was adopted, like, into a white family and didn't realize kind of her Native heritage until later in life. Wow. And so she's, like, trying to connect back to her roots, but, like, what even are her roots? She doesn't know. And your roots 200 years ago looked a lot different than your roots right now because of all the systematic oppression. There is a part, too, about two sisters in here who were part of the Alcatraz takeover. Yeah. I don't know if you I'm know anything about that. that story. Really? Um, oh, I can talk about it <laughs> yeah, some we can. other time. <laughs> yeah. It is a fascinating it story. It is. Yeah, I don't okay. remember what years, but... I think it was in the 70s, right? Or that's 80s? what I want to say. The 80s, maybe? Mm, okay. okay. They, like, some natives took over yeah, Alcatraz? Yeah, once they closed Alcatraz, natives, because it used to be oh, native lands, so yeah. they went, like, took it over and basically oh. like built a, a community yeah but it like mm. didn't really work because no, they because had to like boat stuff on an over. island yeah. <laughs> and they were on Alcatraz yeah, that's and like the government tried to shut it down a couple times but I think it ended up lasting quite a few years hmm. yeah there's like a I small remember. I can give a history synopsis of that. that yeah that sounds good. but yeah it it runs the yeah. range of experience well the um the adoption that you're talking about that's just one of many things Mm -hmm. you've hit on here earlier today I was watching Vox has a video about thousands of children that were ripped from their family like native children that were ripped from their families and so there are hundreds and thousands of children who yeah either just like they were old enough and knew their biological family, you know, and have had to deal with this separation from them. And, Mm. or they were so young and like, yeah, coming to terms with their identity or maybe not even knowing their identity for a while. And the fact that that was done, like I, we will link this, this video Mm -hmm. in the show notes because it it really made my stomach turn because the the movement initially was to create all these boarding these schools the Carlisle method to assimilate native people and then as those schools were getting like pushed back and started to close then came in this adoption program and so the children weren't allowed to go back to their home well no they were it was basically like as one as one strategy was like going down kind of like lessening this other strategy in the u.s government was coming forward to like assimilate native children into white culture exactly and the idea is like your culture spread through your children and as you pass on legacies and so if you remove the children from the equation you can erase those communities yep. because they you can't, can't survive. And so you have thousands of people that feel disconnected from this heritage or mm-hmm. it's erased. And so it was unfortunately pretty successful in its, you know, yeah. efforts. So Right. Yeah. So it's, it is amazing. When did that take place? Uh, 1958, I think, is when okay. it started. Not um, that long ago. Not that right. long ago. No. And they had to come out with legislation in the late 70s 
to help stop it from Jesus. happening. But then that got pushed back from conservative, some conservative groups because it, I think the defense was like, this is prejudicial because it's letting like native people have preference for native children in adoption agents. Like it was really weird, but yeah. anyway, that it's, you know. yeah. What huh. just keeps striking me is how like other they must feel. Cause they're not white. They're clearly not white, especially for kids who are adopted into white families. Mm-hmm. They're not white. And for the woman in this book, she's like, I know I wasn't white, but I didn't know what I was in that like otherness of not, being able to place your culture or Mm -hmm. knowing like I'm not from this culture and I'm not from this culture but I don't know what I am and how like it just it's devastating it's devastating yeah yeah. and you know like you can't undo that I mean like you know you can try but like like that is a permanent effect on those people and those lives Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's amazing for people who try to search for those answers but like that's not without recognizing how difficult that can be or how like some people may never get those answers like right and it just carries down the line yeah like maybe that was happening in the 50s but those children who were forced to lose their own Mm -hmm. families and culture have children and now like it just carries down the line and those children now are like my family has been stripped of all their culture and now yeah we don't even know where we're from or yeah it's very sad yeah the more disconnected you get from that familial tie to your heritage I feel like it can be easy to kind of turn your back on it sometimes you know because when you try to engage it's like well I feel like an imposter because I'm not fully in this that sounds like a really intriguing book though it was yeah again I would recommend anyone to read it it's not gonna be like a fun beach read but (laughs) it is eye-opening in many ways and it was written really well he also uses a really interesting I didn't pick up on this until towards the end of the book but like kind of each character switches their like it's written differently some are in first some are in second some are in third person and which is interesting I I've talked about this before, but I think it's interesting when authors kind of like switch the rules (laughs) in different parts of the book. But yeah, it's it's definitely interesting and a fairly quick read. I'm going to read it. It's been on my list for a long time. So it's got a pretty iconic cover. I would Mm -hmm. I would assume that most people have would recognize the cover of Mm -hmm. it. So before I go into the actual book that I read for this week, I have two little side highlights (laughs) that I like when research or thinking about what I wanted to bring up this week, I was like, oh, I really liked this book. I want to do it. And then I looked it up and I was like, well, the author's white. But anyway, so then there was like also a movie that I was like, oh, I'll talk about this. And the director was also white. So so I'm still going to highlight them because they're still both fantastic and are related to Indigenous Peoples Day. But they don't get the full glory today. So the first shout out is the book, The Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by Mm. David Gran. And some people might have heard of this recently because Martin Scorsese actually just turned it into a movie that comes out later this year. So I was actually going to bring this book up a different time. But now that it's going to be a movie, it's like, I don't want to spoil it. But the Mm. whole entire story is so fascinating. So I might just wait until the movie comes out. 
Yeah. I'm going to do a little like book versus movie review. Ooh, Who knows? We'll that. find out. We'll find out. Love that. Teaser for later. This book has stuck with me since I read it in 2019 because it's one of those really fascinating history stories that no one knows about. But in the 1920s, the wealthiest culture in the entire world was a group of Indians from the Osage tribe living in Oklahoma because they found oil on their land. And these people got crazy rich. Mm. And you don't really, at least when I think about Native Americans, I do not think of crazy riches. I think of the intense poverty that the United States government has helped force them into. Mm-hmm. But in the 20s, this one group of Native Americans were crazy wealthy. And like so wealthy, like hundreds of mansions. They wow. were sending their children to Europe for to go to school and get educated. Like wealthiest of the wealthiest in america but slowly but surely a bunch of them start getting murdered oh of course dun 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 what's happening so the book kind of centers around this one family um we're off of this one family i think they had a ton of deaths basically in this one family so they started looking into it and it wasn't until 24 people were murdered that the FBI, which was a like fairly new organization, decided, hey, maybe we should do something about this. 24. 24. Mm-mm. Anyone that like ever started looking into the murders started getting murdered. Like oh. it's crazy. It's a whole big, like huge conspiracy that goes all the way to the top. And it's a fantastic book. Highly recommend it. It talks a lot about this community that no one knows really, like no one pays attention to today, how it took 24 people getting murdered before the white government decided maybe we should do something about it. And then it talks about how Hoover, who ran the FBI, is a total horrible, horrible human being. And it also kind of talks up they had one Native American that worked at the FBI who went undercover for this effort. Um, So it talks about him and his background and how he got there. Um, And then generally how the United States government failed the Osage people and also Mm. pretty much every Native American as a whole. So great book, white author, not being talked about today. Second thing I'm not talking about today is the movie movie (laughs) Wind River came out, I think, in 2015, 2016. And it was directed by a white guy named Taylor Sheridan. And it stars another white guy named Jeremy Renner and a white woman named Elizabeth Olsen. And basically, this movie I saw the summer of 2018 and has scarred me for life. But it's a wonderful movie. It's one of those movies. Have you either of you seen Manchester by the Sea? Mm -mm. Also a fantastic movie that will scar you for life. So it's really great. Only watch it if you don't want to be in a great mood after. But, like, it was really powerful, and I want everyone to watch it. But it's about this guy who's, like, an expert tracker for U.S. Fish Wildlife Service. He was married to a Native American woman in, I think it was Utah. It might have been Wyoming. It could have been Colorado. In the mountains, lots of snow everywhere, mountains everywhere. Their daughter had died three years previously under mysterious circumstances, and he ended up getting divorced from his wife. His daughter's best friend turns up murdered. In the middle of the woods, I think there was like 10 miles. There were no buildings around. In the dead of winter, she had no shoes on. She had like a bloody head and a bloody like 
pelvis. She was raped. So everyone's like, how did this happen? The woman who was killed was also a member of the tribe. Um, his daughter was half Native American. And he basically, an FBI agent, Elizabeth Olson, comes in to help solve the murder. And Jeremy Renner helps her because he's an expert tracker and like knows the area really well because he lives there. So it basically follows them trying to solve her murder. And I'm just going to spoil it right now because you don't have to watch it. You don't want to, but basically it turns out the Native American girl who's killed had a new boyfriend who was a white guy who was like a security for, I want to say like an oil company or something, had moved in. There were like four or five guys doing security like year round on it. And trigger warning, skip a minute ahead if you don't want to hear anything about sexual assault or violence. Just a full minute. The scene that will scar you for life is her and her boyfriend are very happy. They're in bed at his security job. They like have bunks where they live, all live there. And his three or four coworkers who are also all white came in and like say a bunch of racist things to her or like making fun of them for being an interracial couple. And then like the two or three other white guys hold beat the white guy to death as one of the friends rapes the Indian woman mm. and the boyfriend who's getting beat to death like distracts the other guys so she has enough time to run away so she runs away but she doesn't have any of her shoes she doesn't have a winter coat and she ends up freezing to death like running away from but mm. you literally see everything like you watch this woman get raped it's horrible anyway now that we're done with that part and then at the end they find the guy's the guys that held her down get killed and then the guy that raped her like Jeremy Renner finds him at the end he's like we have two options I can shoot you right now in the head or I can give you the option of what you did to her which is take off your shoes take off your coat and run and if you can get to freedom then you're free because they're like in the middle of nowhere Mm. and the guy ends up freezing to death or dying too so anyway horrible movie the director made it because he said he'd and it's not He's not wrong. He's heard thousands, thousands of very similar stories Mm -hmm. of missing and murdered indigenous women. And at the end of the credits, there's a blurb. And I think it's still true. It might not be. But like missing and murdered women, there's statistics on every demographic. But there has never been any like demographic or breakdown on indigenous women. Mm -hmm. Um, So no one knows how many indigenous women have been yeah, murdered, was, raped, assaulted in any way. Like they don't, for some reason, we I don't keep stats on that. Yeah, I was going to bring this up today because I've been following the Gabby Petito case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as tragic and horrible as that is, and as much as I want justice for her family and her parents, I saw something today that said that 710 indigenous people, mostly girls, were reported missing in the last decade in Wyoming. 710 in, in one state in one state and no one cares no and this is not just america canada is especially yeah. bad at not and it's amazing um, to see how much coverage a blonde girl with blue eyes gets versus yep indigenous right. people of color it's harrowing i mean it's awful and i i don't know it was also I watched it in a room with my five coworkers. Don't recommend watching that movie with coworkers, but we were all living together and they were all five men and it was 
very harrowing watching them watch the one big scene. I bet. And it was nice because I think a lot of men don't understand. Even as a white woman, like, there's always a danger of, like, assault and things. Mm -hmm. So they just never really. That's not something they think about or it's something women think about. We carry this around with us everywhere. So we had a lot of great conversations after that. Yeah. Which is why I suggest men watch the movie. Women, it was also still great, but it scarred me for life and I will never watch it again. Yeah, going into it knowing Yes. what you're in for. I did not know. They did not warn me. Oh, that it was something. Oh, I did want to say, because it was all like by white people and kind of starred white people, even though there were yeah. like a few Native Americans. One disclaimer with that is the like person that played the main Native American woman claimed to be of Native American heritage, and they later found out the tribe says, no, you aren't. We have no records of it. We can't find any in your history. So that's not good. Don't claim you're a Native American if you're not. But I did like read, I wanted to read up on like Native American thoughts on that movie before I talked about it, and it they were like, gen- it was generally considered like, very accurate because I was nervous because it's a white movie and it stars a white man and woman I'm like is this another like the help situation where it's just like white savior complex yeah Um, yes yes I was nervous about that but online it looked like it got like a lot of great reviews the only like kind of negative that I saw was in the movie it's hard not to but they did talk about how like themes in this book people on the reservation feel trapped in that generational trauma and like how desolate kind of the reservation is and how they want to leave but they feel like they can't and one of the responses to that from the native american community was like yeah we do feel that but is it okay that a white guy is saying that we feel that so there was just a little debate with that but Mm -hmm. generally positive reviews and it was originally (laughs) funded by the weinstein company um (laughs) once all i know once all the allegations of weinstein came out like right when the movie was released thankfully lionsgate purchased the movie completely and they removed all bit of weinstein they could Mm -hmm. from the movie you know the the director came out i mean obviously oh my god this movie (laughs) wow (sighs) then i read a book this week book i read this week is a book called the absolute true diary of a part-time indian by sherman alexi and sherman says spokane and cordelaine indian it's like a um, young adult book i would say definitely geared towards men it reminds me of like i don't know if you guys ever read it i didn't but my brother did diary of a wimpy kid where it's got like my brother (laughs) it's got like drawings and stuff but it's skewed older i think that was like maybe middle school but this is like high school so he's like 14 and 15 and it's got a lot of a lot of intense themes for a book about 14 year olds that like some i was reading on goodreads like some people were like assigned this in school and it's like i don't know this book was also very jarring but in different ways that i'll talk about but it's about this 14 year old who's named junior He's growing up on the Spokane Res, and um, he's, like, going to school, and basically, like, you know, we meet his family. He has a sister who I want to say is, like, in her 20s, or has at least graduated high school and kind of sits around and does nothing all day, and he lives with his two parents, and his dad is an alcoholic. His mom, I think, is a recovered alcoholic, he says, but she doesn't drink now, and his dad, he says, is, like, he talks very 
openly about a lot of things. So his dad is what he calls a good alcoholic. Hmm. So like, yeah, he'll go get drunk a lot. And like sometimes like at one point it's like goes through the school year. And at one point it's Christmas and they don't have any money for Christmas presents. And the dad obviously feels bad about it. So he disappears on Christmas day and doesn't show up until after New Year's because he went on a big bender, but he doesn't hit them. He has never like done anything to cause them harm. They're just poor and his dad drinks. And at one point, like very early in the book, a teacher talks to him and his parents talk to him and it comes to the sad realization that like, on the reservation, there basically is no hope for getting out. And the only place where hope is, is outside of the reservation. So he makes the difficult decision at the age of like 14. He's going to transfer schools to the all-white school in Reardon, which is like 20, 20 miles away from where they were in Wilpinit. I've never heard of it, but it's a small town near Spokane. From me, like, I grew up in a very white, middle-class area. Mm-hmm. And listening to him describe this tiny town of Reardon, where all the white kids go, as being, like, a place with so much hope, it is a tiny, like, kind of desolate farm town. And so it's a place where, like, when I was growing up, I would have, like, looked down on that town and said, there's no hope at that town. They're all mm-hmm. farmers. They also are poor. But at least the kids can own cell phones. This kid has to walk to school 20 miles sometimes because his dad can't afford gas to drive the 20 miles there, Mm. 20 miles back. So just putting that in perspective at the very beginning was like a great shift as someone who didn't grow up as much concerned about money. Heavy themes. Literally in the first 10 pages of the book, their dog gets very sick and the mom has to explain to him that they don't have enough money to take care of the dog so within the first 10 pages of the book the dad shoots the dog in the head of a children's book and I was just literally had to put it down after that for a minute because dogs are like animals are who so I'm just warning you now even though it's a children's book there are heavy themes Oh, like I said, it reminds me of Whippy Kid because the kid is like an aspiring cartoonist and he loves cartoons. So he mm-hmm. does a lot of cute little like funny drawings and things, which I thought was fun. Hmm. I don't know. But it talks a lot about as a whole, like obviously hits on the poverty thing. Talks a lot about alcohol right. and a lot about yeah. substance abuse because his best friend on the reservation was a kid, is a kid named Rowdy. And his father is not a good alcoholic. Like Rowdy consistently comes to school bloodied bruises everywhere gets beat up all the time and it's just it it is the way it is on the reservation like everyone knows it's happening no one's doing anything about it because what are they going to do about it so a lot about violence family violence family dynamics a lot about death Mm -hmm. like I said in the very beginning his dog dies but throughout the book his grandma dies because she was hit by a drunk driver his father's best friend died being shot in the head arguing with someone over the last glass of wine in a wine glass his best friend shot him in the head his sister ends up dying she like spontaneously gets married and moved to montana and she ends up getting her and her husband throw a party they get too drunk they fall asleep someone at the party tries to cook soup forgets about it and their trailer burns down so like this is a book assigned to like seventh graders would I recommend it for seventh graders? Maybe not. 
Huh. I would say it's high school. It's about like a 14, 15 year old kid. I would say that's probably a good age to read it. It's definitely graphic. And there's been a lot of controversy around this book, which I don't really understand because I've never been on the side of book banning. But like a lot of schools have like come out and like tried to ban this book because there's obviously he goes to an all white school Mm -hmm. when he first gets there. Children are horrible and racist. There's a lot of racist language. Mm -hmm. The author says it's like 75% based on his real life. Like he actually did this. He grew up on the reservation. He changed to go to this all white school outside of town. What else? There's a lot of violence. And like I was not a sheltered child. Like I knew a lot of things happened. But like reading about this, it's like, I don't know. When you're 13, you shouldn't have to, like, I don't know. At one point, he talks about, like, rules of being a kid on a reservation. And he talks about, like, if anyone says anything bad to you, you have to beat them up. If anyone beats up your brother, you have to beat them up. And he's, like, and he talks about he has this born with hydrocephalus, which is, like, a brain disease with too much water in the brain. So he's, like, slight brain damage and a lisp. And he's, like, a really skinny kid. But, like, he's gotten into over 150 fights in his life because you have to. You can't walk away from a fight. Otherwise, that's just, like, the world they grew Mm -hmm. up in. Exactly. Yeah. So there were definitely a lot of dark themes, but it was also still, like, funny and engaging. It's interesting to read the different perspective because my childhood and his childhood were obviously nothing alike. Yeah. Zero percent alike, I would say. Well, that's... So I'm not surprised by a lot of what happens, but it is always you know interesting to think about I don't know right well that when you were talking about what age group this is appropriate for and the topics being really heavy like it made me think of a like there are children that don't have like they're exposed to that yeah Yeah. so young in life and he clearly was like exposed very young to yeah and so I get like I I kind of see both sides of the argument Mm -hmm. of one like this is, is meant to be like it's eye-opening it's sharing a story and ideally it is helping build empathy with those who are reading it i also get parents wanting to protect their children from intense themes but at the same time it's like so but why like why are these situations present you know like it's it's very similar with to me with parents not wanting to teach like critical race theory or focusing on civil rights and the failures of the country and just like oh we got to protect our children like we shouldn't give them such heavy topics so early in life and I understand that impulse but I also think like what we're teaching we're just conditioning yes it exists Mm -hmm. we're not going to talk about it and and then you're going to grow up without any frame of reference here and push it aside and then we just perpetuate this exact like putting your blinders on yeah you know yeah that's a great point I mean it begs the question like when is an appropriate time to bring up I mean I think you can start bringing up hard topics with children as young as they're asking questions yeah Yeah. but it's like what is appropriate well and you know even like in in many different communities I mean like abuse you know that is universal Mm -hmm. like it's not that everybody is experiencing it but but you building may. empathy in young children is critical. Right. And, uh, like, there is a way to discuss heavy topics mm-hmm. in different age groups, you know? Yeah, like, definitely. 
it's difficult. I mean, yeah, but like, no one you know, like it. abuse is difficult to describe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, like that's not a fun conversation no matter how old you are. But Mm-mm. anyway, that's my yeah. soapbox. Definitely. I'll get no, off. Definitely. <laughs> like, I think it's a complicated subject. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we will continue to ignore how desolate the reservation system and just oh, like, yeah. imprisonment that is. literally he talks it, about that like literally they were designed as prisons yeah and now that you're allowed out but because of like the generational trauma even though you're allowed out of the reservation now people are basically trapped there and imprisoning themselves and like how do you escape that yeah right without losing your culture right, right. and it's really easy if you are not connected to those reservations or nearby to have it kind of romanticized of like, oh, Absolutely. look, here's this dedicated land for tribes to be able to like live how they want to live. And you're like, that is nowhere close to the truth. You know? I mean, I don't I wouldn't recommend it for like everyone to read because we're all like adults now. <laughs> um, but definitely if anyone out there has like a niece or nephew or future children that want to read it, it's definitely like I would let my child read this in the future. It's definitely an interesting book. And I like that schools are assigning it. I think that's cool. But there is a slight unfortunate disclaimer with this book. When I was Googling today, the author, German Alexi, I did come across the fact that several allegations came out. I think it was like 2017 or 2018 that numerous women accused him of sexual harassment, a minimum of 10 women. Um, it looks like there's an NPR story about it. I didn't um, look at the NPR story because I didn't have time. Mm-hmm. But the gist of it is he, it looks like they ranged from inappropriate like comments publicly and in private to unwanted sexual advances and trading like his celebrity to lure women into mm. unwanted sexual situations. I had never heard of this author, but when Googling it, it seemed like he was like a very prominent Native American author and like very highly regarded in not even like the Spokane tribe, but like the Native American, like all the communities Community. across the mm-hmm. United States. So he was like a very, and still is, a fairly famous guy and it basically like from what I could tell like he consistently from the sounds of it like randomly like they would be having normal conversations and then he would like corner women and like try to kiss them or in one situation he was like at a business dinner and told a woman like you know I could fuck you if I wanted to so definitely not a good guy he did publicly admit to all of his wrongdoings so they're definitely true. They're not like, even though they're allegations, like they're definitely, he admitted that he has done this several times. So I don't even know what else to say, except mm. this man is a pig. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't take away from the book. It's not good. And I am upset that I accidentally supported him by downloading his book from the library. Mm. Mm. At least I didn't buy the book. feel better about that. But it's, yeah. I don't know, like, what do you even say to that? It's just... Well, I I guess the only thing that comes to mind is this is not this is not like dismissing him of these actions, but more that like the story shared in the book that you've shared is still really relatable. Yes, you know it and other people's experiences. Yeah, the story is still very real and relatable, but we shouldn't (laughs) laud him. I appreciate you finding that out before. Yeah. 
yeah we were talking about it before about it. um coming here that like yeah. and i the, just randomly like googled him because i couldn't dis- remember yeah. the disclaimer is important and i'm glad that yeah. you brought it up so just a reminder out there to everyone because i didn't know if you're ever talking about someone maybe do just a quick google search to make sure they're not a predator mm. <laughs> and i don't have anything else Heavy topics. We're very quieted <laughs> by these topics. Yeah. Maybe I should have gone first. <laughs> I shall share. Okay. My dive into indigenous authors was first looking at a website where you can look up indigenous authors from any tribe. Or the, or, well, okay. I don't want to say any tribe. I don't personally right. know all tribes, but uh, there were just several tribes listed and then so you could search by tribe and oh, then that's really out. cool very cool What's i that website oh i will put it in the oh, show cool, notes cool, cool. i don't have it memorized that's but it it was really fantastic and i i want to dive into it more and read some books on there in the future yeah. some of the resources we will share these resources in the show notes but um some of the the content i want to talk about today are more podcasts that I have listened to recently hosted by indigenous people. And one is called Telling Our Twisted Histories. Now, the host, I should say, this is a CBC production. So that is the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. So it's a podcast. It's a series of, I think, let's see, 70 conversations across 15 different indigenous communities. But they're, uh, I believe they're all tribes uh, within Canada. But the stories, even though the tribes are different and there are different histories, there is a lot of overlap and shared experience. I would say definitely a lot of similarities. (laughs) And so this podcast is really intriguing because the basis behind the podcast is to decolonize, to work on decolonizing one word at a time. And so each episode is about a a particular word. Sentiment. And so strong too. Yeah. So like, I think the first episode is like discovery and decolonizing this act of discovery and like how settlers discovered this land and everything, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so they, they go into that and the, the host just pulls sound bites from like, people who are interviewed from these 15 different tribes and they all they like it's not like all indigenous people are one monolith so each topic you know you will get feedback that's conflicting with others because everybody has their own take on it you know I highly highly recommend this podcast it's basically the stance is like it is now time for Native people, like, here are our stories, our thoughts, listen, you know, rather, yeah. yeah, rather than, like, let's have some white people interpret what we want to say, yeah. and then, you know, feed it through their, like, a colonized lens, like, let us share our take on it, and so I think I've listened to about five episodes now, um, which have been very interesting, humbling, and, you know, like, People are forthcoming. They're they're honest about their opinions. And, you know, it can be hard to hear some of that if you are representing the group of people that has mm-hmm. been oppressing um, mm-hmm. so many tribes for centuries. But it's crucial to do, in my opinion, personally. And so one episode that I 
really wanted to talk about. It was actually the first episode I ended up listening to. I, It's the last of the series, but I thought it was the first episode. <laughs> My bad. But it is a topic that I think is so pertinent, and it's about reconciliation. And so the episode is getting a bunch of different people's takes on reconciliation. Is it possible? What does it mean? You know? And the... <sighs> The opinions were, you know, all over the place. There were a number of people that were like, this just feels performative. It feels Mm -hmm. completely like one sided, like, you know, and I just loved the points brought up here as much as this truth like can sing. It's like the idea behind reconciliation is still coming from the oppressor and it's being defined by in Mm -hmm. the oppressor's Mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's reconcile but in the ways that we want to define, yes, you know? Uh-huh. And so there were some people who were like, if you want to reconcile, great. I have nothing to reconcile. Like, you need to do the work here. Like, I am the one who has been oppressed. Come to me when you're ready yeah. to do this work, truly, mm-hmm. versus, like, let's do all these transactional, like, yeah. action plans, and that'll yeah. just, like, get us back to equality. And it's like... Your clear mi- our name clear our name <laughs> yeah. and just like and wipe we'll be, away the past we'll be good now yeah and a really yeah. key point that was brought up is like one key part of reconciliation is the healing or accountability or acknowledgement like true healing and restoration of the damage that has been done, you know? And so not to be all like Webster's dictionary says, but like um, in the episode, someone brings up restitution instead. And so I'm like, okay, I better just check my definition. So reconciliation is (laughs) the, like (laughs) the two definitions that come up in Google are either restoring to friendly relations, which people in the, in the episode argue like, did we even have a friendly relationship from where we stand? Yeah. This was never this not restoring. Yeah. yeah. And then the second definition for reconciliation, as it was listed in Google, mm-hmm. is making one view or belief compatible with another. And to me, like oh. that highlights the fault in this idea yeah. is like embedded in that sounds like assimilation. If the collaboration yeah. is not like truly yeah. equal, you know, right. And it is one-sided because there's only one side that wa- that feels like Cares. they need yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and one in like in the Ugh. side that has been historically oppressing yes. this other side is the one that's like, we'll define what's healing. And it's like, right. you don't get to define that. Let us, yeah, let us yeah. come together and let me tell you what I think about what I right. think you need. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so one person that was interviewed brought up restitution. And that, <laughs> according to the definition. <laughs> no, please. I love it. a definition. Yeah, that is restoration of something stolen or lost. And that, like, to me, is the term in the idea. Okay, yeah, once again, like, I am just providing my opinion here. I think that is way more in line with the action that colonized settlers need to dig into and evaluate rather than, like... But I understand the inherent difficulty with that. So some of the people interviewed on this were, um, were like settlers need to go home like you like you need to leave like you've you've taken this land and you have decimated 
populations, you've not treated the land well, you've not treated our mother well, you need to go. And I get that. I told like I totally get that. I also understand the difficulty of that when it, like this conversation comes up so often in other like I think we've talked about this with Israel Palestine. Yeah, that's exactly well. what I was thinking. Yeah, about. where it's like like the three of us sitting here we are born and raised on this land. Mm. And so it's like, where do we go? But our ancestors are the ones who came and like we have with our complacency, Mm. you could argue have contributed to and have perpetuated so much of this trauma that continues to go on. Um, Yeah. But I get, I get that it's difficult when the answer is like, you need to leave, you know, I, I don't have an answer for it, but I just, I take it in and yeah. I just hold it and just, just accept it for what it is. Cause I like, I don't know. I don't know our path to healing. I don't have an you action plan, an quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think there are, and the episode does highlight too, like some of the steps we can start to take to begin this healing um, yes. and not just try to speed through it, you know, but or really ignore it because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And really try to have it be lasting change. You know, I have thought about this a lot when it comes to EDI. So in Jedi, you know, when you have diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, um, I know many institutions and companies are trying to, figure out where they fall in this world, how to improve their culture. And I think reconciliation and even maybe restitution Mm -hmm. are conversations in that too. I mean, duh. Okay. When we look at this country and like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like to bring in like my topic, it's so important to start having these conversations though, Mm -hmm. because I can say like, I have definitely perpetuated um, personally, I, when I was 14 or 15, I went on a church retreat mm-hmm. and the church retreat was for three weeks over a summer. We went to Montana and we stayed with the Crow Reservation there and we like built houses. Yeah. And it was all about like, look at all these yep. 50 white kids coming to help the Native Americans mm-hmm. build houses. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I mean, well, at the time I was 14 and I was like, I get to leave my state. Yeah. without my parents and i'm like i get to hang out with like cool hot older men oh without my, my parents <laughs> for three weeks i was like so excited and i was like excited to see something other than indiana i had never been to a native american reservation yeah. i don't think i ever met a native american by the time i was 14 because i grew up i mean i might have but mm-hmm. i grew up in a predominantly white city mm-hmm. suburb so i didn't think about what are the impacts of me going to a reservation as a white person, right. as a white Christian, because I was technically representing my church or Catholic, whatever, same thing. And then building houses and like helping. Right. Yeah. You know, right. And I was like, <laughs> big, I'm air just quotes. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. building house. That's pretty cool. Helping poor people. That's pretty cool. But the focus on it being a native American reservation, it's not like I was right. in rural louisiana building homes for other poor white people like yeah you know so i in a way didn't think about it never crossed my mind if maybe we had talked a little bit yeah about restitution 
what's the other word reconciliation Reconciliation. maybe I would have thought about it when I was 15 well and that brings up (laughs) this act that I see over and over again in the states and other countries as well just speaking from personal experience of let's go help this community and these individuals rather than fix the issue that is systemically leading to people being trapped in this in this predicament Mm -hmm. you know and that like I understand like you're like I'm one person I'm not in politics I'm not a government official but I can help people so I totally like I don't want to bash people's generosity, but I think it's just, yeah, it's a way for us to put a Band-Aid on something like the boat is sinking and we're just looking for bandages. It makes us feel good. It never solves a problem and it doesn't help the people that we think we're trying to help at all. (laughs) And it just perpetuates the white man's vision of us being the savior in this situation. Like once again, it's like white people defining what is an acceptable (sighs) home, what's an acceptable way to Mm -hmm. live. And then white people being like, we got you. We'll make houses so you can enjoy this area Look, we let you, you keep. House. Like, it's yeah. so yeah. disgusting. Let me help you. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely check out this podcast. Uh, yes, it, it was please. really great. There was another podcast that I just started to listen to today. And it, it's cute. I, I'm only one episode in. And I say cute because the, it's called Yay, Young and Indigenous. <laughs> And the so the hosts cute. are from um, Bellingham. They're they're oh. in the Pacific Northwest. Hell yeah. They're um, members of the Lummi Nation. And I I just say it's cute because the first episode is one of the hosts getting help from her older brother on learning um, some of their native language as well as um, learning how to call the ancestors for ceremonies, I believe. And so it's it's really beautiful because you hear him trying to pass along like you know this pronoun means yeah. this this is this and she's like working through it and I love that she put that on there like it you feel like you're you know watching that familial transition or not transition just like pass like sharing yeah of tradition you know yeah. and so then they they talk about you know like why is why are these parts of our culture erased like why I think the reasoning behind this podcast starting I think the hosts say like they haven't felt as connected to their tribe and so they want they're working on getting more connected and so I think that's really beautiful and want to lift them up and like tell you how to check them out because um I definitely want to check out more episodes and they're local so that's awesome I already want to check them out just from their name yeah, like they did a fantastic oh my God, job. They were, As someone who had to name a podcast once. Great hello. job, Well guys. done. Like, really wow, nailed it. Guys. Yes. Got the three letters. Yeah. You got it. No, it's <laughs> really great. Okay, and then I did mention the Vox episode about the children as you were talking about, like, the kind of Christian missionaries. I think that was with this, like, rise of let's adopt indigenous children. I think it was, like, that was one of um, the ways that got people to uh, do it they would like yeah. put out a bunch of propaganda that would and so you had white people showing up to native families native lands and just being like i'm gonna save you this oh, is for dude. you 
One other resource that I want to mention is one that I also found out about today, which is you can look up your address and see <gasps> yes. all the native land. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I kn- yeah. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. like native-land.ca. It's really great. And I think it's, um, I think they have disclaimers or like, this may not be 100% accurate. It's like right. you'll buy community information. Mm-hmm. But the map is a beautiful tapestry of so many tribes that I have never heard of and it's it just it really brings home seeing that and also seeing this graphic in the Vox video of like the land that was available to native people and what like just seeing how constricted it got once settlers came and forced them yeah and we're trying to eradicate yeah it just really brings home I don't know that I have the words for it it's like it's both like how rich this land has been of culture and how erased that culture feels mm-hmm. from the American experience. That's a great as words to I use for experience it. it. Yeah, yeah. The tapestry I is a beautiful look, image. I want to look that up now because it's definitely moving to Seattle. It has definitely become a much more prominent conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm very aware of the indigenous history of the state of Washington. Yeah. Whereas Indiana, based on the name alone. You it's, can infer it has a very rich Native American history, mm-hmm. but being on the East Coast and being an older state than something like Washington, we were one of the states that was very big on pushing the Indians west, right. get them yeah. out of our state. So There's we don't, we didn't have reservations in nothing Indiana left because we got rid of them, yeah, and pushed them out to states like Washington. Yeah. So it's definitely something, like we learned about it in school, and I know like. Potawatomi and like Iroquois, Iroquois, mm-hmm. Iroquois, Iroquois. Yeah. We taught like we learned about very specific tribes that like lived in Indiana, yeah, hundreds of years. But it ago. feels like, but yeah, it's, it's not as much a part of the history. Like it's not a prominent part of the history. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's part of why I feel so separated from it. And mm-hmm. I don't yeah. often think about it because I grew up in a place where it was the far-off image of an Indian. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about where they are and what they're doing today. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's definitely, I mean, it's nowhere near, obviously nowhere near no, but the I forefront moved, of our mind being here. When I moved out here, I remember realizing like, oh, there's a lot of reservations out here. Yeah. Like that and was... the names, learning names of even cities, like what, the Sky Comish, mm-hmm. like all these names still have some, some native names the native names we chose not to our ancestors chose not to rename well and it's tricky too because when i moved out here i was like is this just like a shit ton of appropriation like because i mean that's you see it all over the country and and it's hard too like if you if you as a white person living in the states are like oh i really want to like learn more about these communities the inhabitants it can be difficult too because like you want to be really cognizant of that line of where you are stepping into appropriation. One thing I've been thinking about as I'm reading and learning over the past week is what to do next. Like educating yourself is a huge step. And so then it's like, okay, so how how do I utilize this education to make a difference? Because then you might be like, listen, you don't have a role in this. Take a step back. 
it maybe that's the answer mm-hmm. or it's like no there's there's a middle ground here and so i know some people are just like oh can we move off of this can we stop harping on this but it's not the case because the damage can't just be shoved off i feel just very humbled by the things that have been shared today and the things that i've listened to you yeah. know so well on that, that note, note. <laughs> fuck columbus he did not discover america and happy indigenous people's day yes if you guys have any resources or books or podcasts or movie recommendations you want to share regarding indigenous peoples by indigenous peoples let us know (laughs) we Um, hope this has sparked your curiosity to learn more and we hope you check out some of the resources dive in all right right, we'll see you next week bye Bye. oh my god (laughs) Thanks for listening. Links from today's episode can be found in the show notes on our website, whatyourreadando.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have anything that piques your interest or you want to share, email us at wrdpod at gmail.com. Maybe we'll feature you on the pod. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and also on Instagram at wrdpod. Follow us to stay up to date on future episodes. Like, leave a review, tell a friend. You get the idea. Music for this podcast was created by Kalindo. Find him on Instagram at The Real Kalindo. Stay inspired and we'll see you next week.